The morning after his arrest, I was told that they'd made an arrest on the Zodiac. That's Robert Masters, a former prosecutor at the Queens District Attorney's Office. On June 19, 1996, news of Heriberto Seda's arrest was spreading fast. A lot of people were still not sure, like, is this the right guy? In person, Seda lacked the mystique that he created for his alter ego, Zodiac. His arresting officer described him as polite. Physically, he was pale and thin. He was younger than criminal profilers had estimated, just 28 years old. In the photos of detectives leading him out of the 75th precinct, he's clutching his Bible and staring at the ground. I think it's that phenomenon of if you're trying to catch a big fish and it's fighting you to get it on the boat, and then when you finally get it on the boat and you look at it, it's really not that big. I'm retired Detective Sergeant Wally Zions, and you're listening to Breaking the Case, a true crime podcast written and produced by the New York City Police Department and supported by the New York City Police Foundation. In the previous episode, Eddie Seda is arrested in East New York, Brooklyn, after shooting his sister and firing at police. During questioning, he admits his guilt and signs a five-page confession. Now he faces charges in Brooklyn, Queens, and Manhattan. The New York Zodiac Copycat, Episode 6, Zodiac Goes to Trial, coming up after the break. What happens in a big prosecutor's office, a lot of people wanted the case. I don't think that I was one of the first names. I got a few soft inquiries, would I want the case? And I let it be known I would. One of the reasons that Robert Masters was considered for the prosecution team was that he had experience with psychiatric cases. The assumption was that there would be a psychiatric defense, and that had been an area in which I had handled a number of prior cases. I sort of said, even on that day, the Wednesday the 19th, look, if you're going to give me the case, because we knew that he was still being questioned, you know, I'd like to know now, because I may have some ideas that may help going downstream. When Masters didn't hear anything that Wednesday, he thought the case was going to someone else. That Friday was June 21st of 96. I took the day off. I had just moved into my apartment. I was on a ladder painting, and my pager went off, and it was Judge Brown, the district attorney. The district attorney in Queens, Richard Brown, had previously served as a New York State judge and was known as Judge Brown. He said, you know, Bob, I know it's you took the day off. Can you come in? And I was like... Uh, Judge, I got paint all over me. And he goes, just shower up, you know, put on jeans. I don't care. Just come in. In the meeting, Brown told Masters that he and his colleague, Kirk Bartley, would take the case to trial. That same day, Seda was charged with six counts of second-degree murder, one count of attempted murder, and seven counts of criminal possession of a weapon in the four Zodiac attacks in Queens. The judge denied Seda bail and sent him to Kings County Hospital for a 30-day psychological evaluation. There are two different psych evaluations that come up in the life of a case. The first one, and that's usually requested by the defense attorney, and it's the fitness to proceed. And that's just the determination about, does somebody realize they're being accused of a crime, what the crime is that they're being accused of, and are they able to help in their defense? And there are people who are so disoriented 
and they are so mentally ill that they don't even appreciate the fact about what's going on here. They can't really assess, you know, what the judge's role is, what a trial's going to be between, you know, a lawyer for me and a lawyer for them. And they're that mentally scrambled. At that point, they're called unfit and they're basically put in a mental home until such time that they do achieve fitness and, and often they do. There was never any concern about that with Mr. Seda. He plainly knew what was going on. So then it becomes the second evaluation is not at the current moment, but at the time of the crimes. And the test is, does he know what he did and does he know that it's wrong? The second evaluation would come later, but to Masters, it seemed that some of Seda's actions demonstrated the preparation and concealment of his crimes. There's so much that shows he knows it's wrong, from disguising himself, from the way that he flees. Look, he's documenting it and taunting the police. He wants everybody to know that these terrible things have happened, and I am like the, the, the puppeteer. He's aware. It may be an evil, but evil isn't crazy. Evil is just evil. There's good and there's bad. There's right, there's wrong, there's good, there's evil. Then there's crazy, there's sickness. This was not a product of him being sick. This was a product of him being broken. He plainly knew the difference between right and wrong. He embraced wrong. And once he embraced it, you could tell he kind of liked it. One of the first people that Masters reached out to was Detective Sergeant Joseph Herbert. Remember what Herbert said when he read Seda's handwritten confession? Suspicions are one thing. I mean, I, I recognize handwriting, but I'm no handwriting expert. I knew I had to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that uh, this was the Zodiac. It was the following Monday that I first met Joe Herbert. He immediately shared with me things that he, he thought I should know. And I just thought that was so remarkable that he was concerned already about the trial and about you know any way that he could be conceivably impeached. He began giving me ideas about assembling all of the information. And you have to realize in the life of a case very early on, the prosecution has to give notices of statements. And if they're not given within 15 days after the arraignment, they're out of the case forever. These statements were from detectives and police officers who interacted with Seda while he was in custody. And he helped me find just about everybody who had any contact with Seda. Some of the statements reflected how Seda premeditated his attacks. Seda had told detectives that he checked his watch after each shooting so that he could give the correct information to the media. He said he didn't keep trophies because that's how serial killers get caught. He said that he envied Ted Bundy and hoped to match his number of victims. He bragged about the quality of his zip guns and said he wanted to plant bombs across the city to get attention. Other statements were more banal. On the chance that there was going to be a psychiatric defense, to me, what is very important in rebutting that is to show the mundanities of the arrest process, to show that this person is going to be telling the jury, I did it because I was crazy. Well, you know, when he got arrested, he acted like everybody else who gets arrested. He didn't say he was Napoleon. He did what he was told. All the things that people 
who are not crazy can do, but they're often not documented. And I explained that to Joe, and he made sure that all the detectives who had interacted with him were documenting all of the very boring, normal, routine commerce that they had with him during that two-day period. And all of that was very significant as to preventing the defense from having the room to roam to suggest that he was crazy, to suggest that these statements were forced on him. That goes a long way, ultimately, in front of the jury. As a prosecutor, Masters approached trials with a simple strategy. I always looked at it as chess. What you try to do is take things away from your opponent. In a chess game, you're taking their pieces, taking their assets, while you're controlling more and more of the board shrinking the board that's available to your opponent until there's no place left to go and it's checkmate. And I always looked at it that that's what I was trying to do with my trial, to take assets from the defense, ultimately leaving no spot left, but that the jury comes in and says, it's him. That's the guy. One month after his arrest, Sato was arraigned on his indictment in Queen's Supreme Court. Seda pleaded not guilty and did not apply for bail. I rarely look at the defendant. It just makes me uncomfortable. I remember the judge asked us to approach the bench right before the arraignment. And from up near the bench, I was able to look at him at the defense table and we made eye contact. And I could tell he knew I was going to be around for a while. I think he saw me as the substitute now for the cops. This is my new tormentor and the new person I'm going to try and torment. After Seder's arrest, a number of his East New York neighbors were quoted in newspaper stories. He was known as the neighborhood snitch. He wanted to be in the military, but was rejected by the army. His mother said he'd always been a loner. He was a terrible student, owing to the fact that, uh, you know, he had this learning disability. He had no father figure. The father had abandoned the mother when he was, I want to say, about 10. In his junior year at Franklin K. Lane High School, he was suspended for firing a starter's pistol. And he never went back. I don't think he ever worked for more than an odd day here or there when he was still a teenager. And then after that, he never worked again. There was no desire to work. There was no encouragement to work, no demand that he work. I think that uh, that enormous lack of any sort of ambition was kind of telling about, you know, the emptiness of his existence. Here's retired Deputy Chief Joseph Herbert. He justified his crimes to himself. He stated that he believed he was cleaning society of drug dealers, of people that weren't worth, in his view, walking the earth. He made guns and perfected the skill set he needed to carry out his plans. He told us about how he would go to Highland Park and he would discipline himself to sit in tall grass for an hour, not move. That he might need to be able to do that at some point going forward to accomplish one of these, as he called them, missions. And he spent the time and he had the patience to train himself to sit motionless in the park at night because he wanted to be able to do it. If somebody was walking by, if there were police on patrol, 
In the spring of 1997, Seda sat through a psychological examination for the prosecution. He had interviews with a psychiatrist and a psychologist. In their report for the court, they determined that Seda had been mentally competent during the four years that he allegedly killed three people and injured five others. They so accurately had him pegged that ultimately defense counsel abandoned the psychiatric defense. The trial in Queens began on May 14, 1998. Kirk Bartley was now a judge, so Raymond Shearer stepped in as Master's new trial partner. I used to say to people, it's the case of the century, and there's pretty much one of those every other year. The evidence against Seda was overwhelming. Masters used testimony and evidence from Seda's shootings in Brooklyn and Manhattan. And I made it a point during all of my oral advocacy with the jury, you know, you're going to be hearing about things that happened outside of Queens. You're only to consider them for what evidence contributes to the level of proof of what we say he did in Queens. It included a fingerprint match to the Central Park letter, a ballistics match from one of Seda's zip guns to the bullet recovered at the Central Park scene, handwriting analysis, a DNA match to DNA recovered from the envelope of a Zodiac letter that was mailed to the New York Post. All of the evidence that was recovered from his June 18th arrest, that incident where he shot his sister, that incident where he's shooting at the cops, the siege situation, his surrender, his making that initial statement to Danny Powers where he writes the cross with repent and the sevens on the bottom. All of that was extremely probative in explaining how he came to confess to shooting Prochi, to killing Pat Fonte, to shooting Weber and to killing Diacombe. Because the defense intended to challenge Seda's confession, it was important to establish that the information flowed from Seda to detectives, not vice versa. All of that, which he referenced in his statements, I was able to argue that it should be admitted in front of the jury to corroborate the truthfulness of his statement, that it showed that the police didn't make that up. They didn't know that he had a phone book with a bullet hole in it until he told them. And then they went and recovered it, so it validated the statement. The trial included testimony from Detective Powers, Detective Sergeant Herbert, Detective Savarese, and Detective Moore, and other detectives who interacted with Seda. The jury also heard from Zodiac victims who were shot in Brooklyn, Diane Ballard, Mario Orozco, and Jermaine Montenegro. There's never been a time, no matter how many times I've spoken with a witness, that while they're on the witness stand, I don't hear something for the first time. While Mr. Montenegro was on the witness stand, he indicated that after he'd been shot, when he came to in the intense pain, apart from his wallet missing, so was his keychain that had his Zodiac birth sign on it. Throughout his interviews, Seda never said how he knew the birth signs of the first four victims. He shared in a lot of other things. He would never share how he knew. He enjoyed the mystery and he enjoyed lording that superiority over all of the people who had apprehended him. Like, you think you know everything, but you don't. I think between myself, Joe Herbert, uh, Lou Savarese, we think we figured it out. The first victim, Mr. Orozco, his life was incredibly predictable. He got off the same subway the same time every night, went to the same place, 
no stops in between. And Seda being a denizen, seeing this man on a cane coming off the J train the same time every night, followed him to his home and knew where he was. And our speculation is, got some mail. And in the mail, he was able to figure out the date of birth. So he had his first victim. I think on the second victim, Montenegro, he did the basic calculation. The chances of me duplicating the first victim are only one out of 12. So it's worth the random shot. And he got lucky when he found the keychain. With Mr. Prochi, he was senile. Neighbors told us that he would walk around all hours of the night. He would write things on index cards, almost like flashcards, I think because he forgot an awful lot. And he had his name, he had his address, he had his date of birth. Under the park bench in Central Park, where victim number four, Larry Parham, was shot, Parham had tucked his wallet into his shoe. It contained his ID card. Detectives assumed that Seda had a look at that ID and added Parham's birth sign to his note after he shot him. After the Parham shooting, Seda stopped identifying the astrological signs of his victims in his letters. What I told the jury was that that day when he lost his temper and shot his sister was when the entire house of cards collapsed around him. That was the small thread that got pulled that led to the entire garment unraveling. There could have been task forces out there for months and months and months and years and years. Nothing was going to solve the case but this intervening event of him being angry on a hot day and her having the music turned up too high, her having a boyfriend over. And it was loud and he didn't like it and he told her to turn it down. And I believe she basically swore at him, like, who are you? And that was enough. His manhood had now been questioned in front of this other guy and he had to stand up for himself as the man of this house. I think he was physically afraid of actually having an altercation with the two of them at once. So that's why he resorted to the gun. She was injured and it unfolded from there. Police descending upon him. He was like living out this fantasy at the very end. You know, that famous Cagney movie, White Heat. You know, I'm on top of the world, mom. You know, and it's, I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory in my moment. You know, unfortunately, his moment was fueled by pieces of pipe, rubber bands, shoelaces that were not accurate really for more than. 30, 40 feet. You know, the bullets kind of did not leave with a great deal of speed. They decelerated very quickly. And as a result of that, he was a low-end urban terrorist that day. I had read an interview of the, the since deceased writer, Elmore Leonard. TV characters and shows and movies have been made from his books. And he was asked, what was the secret of his success? And he said, I leave out the parts people skip over. I told the jury, I said, you know, ladies and gentlemen, defense counsel have just spoken very eloquently for the last three and a half hours. And in listening to it, I am mindful of what Elmore Leonard said in describing the secret to his success. I leave out the parts that people skip over. And I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that's what they've done. They've left out all the parts they want you to skip over. I'm going to focus on the parts that they left out because it's in all of those parts that you'll see how seamless this case is. Together, when fully assembled, looked at rationally rather than through the funhouse mirror that they're asking you to look at it through, you know, their verdict is an answer to one question. 
who did it. It's not their job to figure out how did he know all their birthdays. You know, it's interesting, curious, but it's not necessary to render a verdict. The defense wants you to believe that the real Zodiac is still out there. So they want you to believe that although Mr. Sadov's fingerprints are here, his guns are here, his ammunition is here, his handwriting is here, and all of this is here, all of his identifiers, all of his weapons, everything that he needed to be a serial killer, that somehow or another there's somebody else out there who really does all these things, and it's not him. You could just see the jury like, well, who else is it going to be if it's not him? The trial lasted six weeks. The jury took five and a half hours to deliberate. Seda was found guilty for killing three people and wounding another. Some jurors cried when the verdict was read. Seda had shown no emotion during the trial and at times appeared to be smirking. One juror said, he came across as an empty person, a shallow personality. Seda was sentenced to 83 and one-third years to life in Queen's Supreme Court. Judge Hanafi ordered that the sentences be served back to back. There were three 25-year sentences for the second-degree murders of Joseph Proci, Patricia Fonte, and Joseph Diacone, and a sentence of eight and a third years for the attempted murder of James Weber. Seda was also given three overlapping sentences of five to 15 years on weapons charges. After the sentencing, Robert Masters adjusted to his new normal. For everything that you do when you're trying a case, you know, your whole life revolves around it. After it's over, you begin to like, now what do I do? And you almost wind up missing this thing that has tormented you for perhaps a, a couple of years. In June, 1999, Seda was convicted in Brooklyn for the attempted murder of his sister and four police officers during the 1996 shootout and for the three attempted Zodiac murders between 1990 and 1994. He was sentenced to 152 years to life. For his crimes, he received a total sentence of 235 years. Seda was never charged by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office for the attempted murder of Larry Parham. Today, Seda serves out his sentence in a New York State prison. Through all the twists and turns of the case, in the end, the tireless efforts of the detectives and the prosecutors ultimately brought the Zodiac to justice. In the seventh and final episode of season three, we take you inside the 75th precinct. A lot has changed there since the early 90s. You were lucky back then in the 75th precinct if you were able to leave your house, walk to the subway without getting mugged, get to work without getting mugged. Breaking the Case is written and produced by the New York City Police Department and supported by the New York City Police Foundation. Special thanks to retired Executive Assistant District Attorney from the Queens DA's office, Robert Masters. If you like our show, please consider writing us a review on Apple Podcasts and recommending Break in the Case to your friends. And follow the NYPD on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm retired Detective Sergeant Wally Zions. Thanks for listening. Until next time, be safe. <laughs>